0: You I've hated you ever since I can remember! I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer! Cancer? Yes, in the head!
1: Huh? I'm as mad
2: as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man
0: behind the
2: curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine Kind of a DeLorean?
1: This is... Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the (laughs) mundos. Hello there, children. Hey, hey, (laughs) kids.
2: Don't worry, I got an idea.
0: And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that
1: there's anything wrong with him
3: Because he has a lot of chick spot. <laughs> oh, right.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 377 of the Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, proud 20-year young adult brain cancer survivor coming to you now from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org.
1: I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud.
2: It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Got a great show for you, My Breast Choice is a lifestyle blog and YouTube series that uses humor and honesty to explore the impact that a breast cancer diagnosis can have on a woman's body, mind and soul. We're going to be joined by Survivor Blogger on Yella McGinnis to share her story along with Elizabeth Finch, who is a Survivor writer-essayist in the Survivor Spotlight. Like I said, going to be a great show, and here we go. Hello. Kenny. Hello. Natalie. Hello. And Dr. Sean Shapiro. Hey. Fresh from near-death experiences. Yes. God, I, I, I envy and I'm scared by that. Yeah, I just got back from Jackson Hole. It was a good time. I clearly, just you guys didn't know this, but Sean texted me. Uh, a photo of the 90-degree the, the cliff he jumped off of after he lived instead of sending me, here's the cliff I'm going to jump off of now, which I'm glad he didn't. I should have just not responded for like three days just to see <laughs> how he would have reacted. Exactly. That's intense, dude. Really intense. Good for you. It was fun. Yeah. It was on the bucket list, so I had to do it. And and it's I guess it's good to have a bucket list at, what are you, 30 now? How old are you? 29. Almost 30. Yeah, okay, you're, you're hitting it. Good. Yeah, you and Kenny, that's right. The Big Three O coming up. Bucket list. Oh lists. my goodness, yeah. Kenny, you got a
1: weekend. You did a um, little jaunt to Austin to our friends at Big Commerce. I did. Uh, my bucket list consists of ice and beer. <laughs>
2: so, what did you do over there? For those listening, uh, Big Commerce is the what do you call it, the back-end platform that runs our store. It's our, our shopping cart provider. Yeah. I yeah. uh, just talked about some <clears throat> some upcoming mutual goodness. No, it's good. We we really like them. We do. Maybe we start the Austin half marathon team with uh, Sean and get them involved. Yeah. I just said
1: that. Yeah. There you go. That's how quick that happens.
2: No, it really is. I I was taken aback by how I was reaching out to companies that I would never normally think to reach out to to say, how'd you like to run for us? And like, boom, they're already having like cage matches amongst their employees to figure out who can join our team. It's a good problem to have. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And Mal, how are you?
1: I'm just Ducky.
2: You're not. Oh, Dandy and Ducky.
1: I'm mixing it up.
2: I'm gonna start to read into why you choose different (laughs) words every time.
1: I I like to keep people guessing.
2: Well, for those of you that are following me, I'm on a crazy weight loss thing, and I went all plant, vegan, meatosaurus stuff, and I still got sick, which is ridiculous. Although,
1: yeah, germs don't care about kale.
2: They don't care about that. That's my new blog. Germs don't give a shit about kale. Nope, it's ridiculous. So I'll try to muscle my way through the show here. But we got some cool news. CancerCon nearly sold out again. Um,
1: So close. So close. Only a few spots left.
2: It's like that line that only a Gen Xer or millennial-ish might know from Total Recall. Get your ass to Mars is get your ass to Denver. Because you don't want to miss out. The waiting list starts very soon.
1: Yes. Like less than 10 people away.
2: And we have possibly uh, two more patient scholarship initiatives launching next week on top of the one. So if you think you might qualify, what is it? Melanoma, Hodgkin's, and soft tissue sarcoma. Yes. If you have been affected by any of those, melanoma, Hodgkin's, or soft tissue sarcoma, you might be eligible to win a full scholarship to CancerCon. Uh, so go to cancercon.org and check your eligibility and apply. We get a lot of great people coming. It's a We, we thank our our partners for making this possible for them.
1: Yes, there's also a, a big announcement, CancerCon-related, the Get Busy Living Award.
2: Oh, yes, the uh, our, our annual Get Busy Living Award. Yes. Nominations are now being accepted. Was it? Getbusylive.ing.
1: Yes, and there's two awards this year. It's not just a Survivor Award. There's also a Caregiver Award as well.
2: Which is, I think, a great sign of the times. That not that we never didn't acknowledge caregivers, but to recognize that... Caregiving in that level of light is so important to who we are. Yeah, that's a big deal. It's exciting. Yes, uh, toast Denver. We're closing in on um, our inaugural fundraising event in uh, Denver.
1: Yep, April seventh. It's it's going well. We tickets are selling, and uh, it's going to be an amazing night at the Art Hotel. So even if you don't live in Denver, we'd
2: love it if you'd consider supporting this event happening. You can go to toast.stupidcancer.org and make a contribution and uh we're very excited. Yeah, Denver uh, is excited about this too.
1: Yeah, one one great way to support the cause from afar is to sponsor an angel ticket uh for uh, which is basically just allowing a uh, cancer fighter, survivor or caregiver um to win a ticket to attend uh the evening. It's a big deal. Yeah. That website again is toast.stupidcancer.org. Dot dot org.
2: And uh Kenny, you have a small little um uh a route exploration I do excursion thing coming up minor minor thing
1: we are setting out april 7th uh, on the way to CancerCon. uh i believe it's 14 days 12 cities because uh, we're t- we're going through uh some serious serious uncharted territory up north in our 2016 camaro uh such so B. yes interesting
2: so we want to make sure that as many of our listeners are aware that the road trip could be coming through your neck of the woods. So go to, what is it, stupidcancerroadtrip.org. That's correct. List all the cities. We'll be posting where the meetups are happening and what we'll be doing in town while uh, while we're there. We can't wait to see you or meet you or have you come rejoin us if it's a community we've been to. Like, uh, I think we went to Chicago a couple of years ago, right? Yep. Really big deal. It's going to be great. <clears throat> we're going to rack up more than 6,000 miles this year. <sighs> we'll find out. And how many dog years and age is that for you personally?
1: Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we stopped Just counting. Get in the car and keep going forward. Exactly.
2: No, so it's a big deal. It's very exciting stuff. Um, yeah. So that's kind of all I got. But uh, let's let's start the show. Elizabeth Finch is a television writer, producer, and essayist. Past TV writing credits include True Blood and The Vampire Diaries. Her essays have been published in Elle, Marie Claire, Cosmo, and Fresh Yarn. She currently writes for Grey's Anatomy. And uh, she wrote one of the coolest articles I've ever read, called I Confronted My Doctor Who Missed My Cancer. I cannot wait to start speaking with this woman. Please welcome Elizabeth Finch to The Stupid Cancer Show. Hello.
3: Hi, guys. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you?
2: So my first question is, how often do you have to correct people that your name isn't Liz with a Z a bit?
3: Oh, you know, I I try not to bug too much about it. Most people in my life end up calling me Finchie anyway, so I just sort of let it go. (laughs) No
2: American Pie reference there at all.
3: No, not even a little bit. (laughs) Not even a little tiny,
2: little bit. I get it. I get it. Uh, Yeah, I I think I was first introduced uh, to you when... Probably 80 grillion people from our community said, You got to read this piece. It, I think, oh, it, just, <laughs> it just wrote, it just spoke to the heart and soul of where our hostility may or may not need to be, or how transference can work to your benefit. And I, I, I had to talk to you about this because it's so interesting. Um, I also, uh, like the fact that you write for uh, Gray's Anatomy. We've had several of the writers on the show, and we work very closely with Dan Shapiro, who I believe yeah. also counseled. Uh, to the writers as well. Dan's a personal friend. I've known him since he was diagnosed in the late 90s. So, um, and, and, you know, I'm a pop culture geek and I love to see cancer in pop culture not sure. be Deborah Winger <laughs> in terms of endearment anymore. And that's really right. compelling for us. And, you know, with the Chasing Life and 50 50, there's been this sort of radical sea change in what we think viewers need to see versus what they might expect to see.
3: How great is that?
2: <laughs> it's a big deal, I'm really, and you're a part yeah. of that, so congratulations on everything. And, oh,
3: gosh, thank you. A very tiny, <clears throat> small heart, but I'm really happy to be a part of it.
2: Take the compliment.
3: <laughs> you don't know me very well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so let's, let's, I mean, yeah, getting cancer at not 80 is who we are as an organization, and you were 34, and I just, we, we typically ask our guests, what was your life like before you were 34, and you were just probably living the dream. Or some version uh, of that, perhaps. I was,
3: yeah, I was on. I was on my way to it. I was, you know, I was climbing up the ladder in terms of wanting to be a writer, wanting to be a TV writer specifically. And the writers' strike hit, and my and I was still an assistant uh, on True Blood, and I was running around like the rest of my assistant friends, going, "How am I gonna, um, you know, make ends meet while the writers who are in the guild sort of shake this all out? How is that going to work for me?" And I was really frustrated one day, and I went hiking just sort of get my, you know, energy into a healthy place. And I twisted my knee um, as a freak accident and I cracked my kneecaps in half and I tore some cartilage, which was super painful. And uh, it started me on this crazy trajectory where for several years, they were trying to figure out what the heck was wrong and why did all the typical fixes for someone my age and my abilities, why it wasn't healing. Um, we, I did four different types of surgeries and we tried to be as minimally invasive as possible. But all the while I kept having this nagging feeling like something isn't right because all the things they kept saying typically would fix it, weren't fixing it to a point where I finally said, guys, <clears throat> we have to do something. And I went to, several different doctors all over the country to say, Hey, are we doing the right thing here? And it finally came to pass where they said, you know what? Like I had one surgeon who ended up being as part of the article, ended up being someone who threw his hands up in the air and just said, I don't know what to do with you anymore in a very dismissive way. But I still was someone who only had 17% of cartilage in my knee. And that's not normal right. for somebody my age. I was 34 at the time. So, I was super frustrated, and I kept going to a couple other doctors saying, guys, I have to get back my life. And a doctor, uh, I had to be flown out to uh, Iowa because there was a guy who agreed and said a knee replacement was the only seeming solution at this point, even though it was pretty radical for someone my age. Uh, But he agreed to do it, and when he was doing the procedure, he ended up finding a tumor uh, in the lower part, like beneath my knee, like the knee replacement went on successfully, found a tumor beneath my knee that shouldn't be there that he hadn't seen on the scan previously and said, you know, just took took the risk and took out the tumor because he thought, you know, he didn't want to put me through another surgery and found out that it was, in fact, a form of chondrosarcoma, which is, I later found out, is something where the average age of diagnosis is 51. It makes up for 1% of all cancers or that did as of four years ago. Um, so that was when my life went from normal to what the hell is going on now?
2: Well, your vigilance is both infuriating and inspiring from both sides of the conversation because this is the story of the young adults that, that you are, no one takes you seriously. And we've had many primary care physicians on the show and I speak to primary care and where is the... Uh, balance between well, you're one tenth and one percent of people that might get cancer versus I have to be super literate about everything that happens to you, and what does it mean when you're not eighty and keep going back to the doctor over and over again versus right. it 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 should if it's fine and they fix it it's fine, but you're you're telling my story and the story of millions of other people who just are not taken seriously, maybe not the first time which. Could be a no. little leveraged, but you know, the 10th time, maybe, yes. So, exactly.
3: And I, I mean, I understand, you know, in retrospect, I understand why I was, I, I still remain like such an atypical profile. But what happens, unfortunately, and it's, it, You know, so many men, including yourself, have the same story, but this curious thing ends up happening when you are a female that you get labeled more so than men as the hysterical one. You come in the third time, you're someone who just needs a good cry, who needs a little (laughs) patience.
1: to, maybe
3: we should give you, as it was prescribed to me, that I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs as a 34-year-old. I don't need antidepressants. I need right. antidepressants from dealing with you, doctor, who will listen <laughs> to me. Like, the problem is not my emotional state. And if I'm crying in the office, it's not because I think – it's because I think there's something bigger going on here and you're not hearing me. Right. Um, and one of the terrifying things that I've found along in my research is how often women in particular are given – when they're complaining about pain, whether it's in the ER, whether it's in their doctor, they're given sedatives instead of their male counterparts who are actually given pain medication. Because the idea is, it's an emotional thing for women. Um, it's there must be something wrong with your squishy little heart. It's not the fact that you have cancer growing in you.
2: That's a very that's a fascinating take and it's com- something I actually com- completely believe and have seen personally. So, so congratulations on being oh. <laughs> <laughs> being, victimized. being the pig, right? Yes, being <laughs> the One being, of many uh, ignorance. Yes, exactly. So, all right. So you finally get you get the knee surgery, and that's when they. So your early detection yeah, yeah. You was knee job, surgery. Yes. Good
3: job. Your knee's fixed, but you have cancer in both <clears> your they removed it from my tibia, but I also had it growing in my spine. And because they had attributed all the back pain that I've been experiencing the last two years as, well, obviously, because your knee has been jacked, of course your back is gonna hurt. Right. So they found chondrosarcoma that was hanging out in my lower spine as well.
2: So all right. So you're you're doing your thing. Life is wrecking everything because you don't have a diagnosis when you're finally diagnosed did you have a sigh of relief and then a holy shit moment
3: uh there actually was bizarrely enough i mean it, it was and i think other people have experienced this too of okay first is i'm not crazy i'm not as crazy as they've made me feel all of this time there is something and then later it hits the oh, crap, this is something I actually have to <laughs> yeah. fight and deal with. Um, and I was in so much pain about my knee, and the recovery of that the cancer at the moment almost seemed secondary to, oh, first they fixed my knee, can I go hiking? And then the second thing is, oh, hold on a second, we have to talk chemo. Right. So it was all a big bag. But, yeah, there was that relief of there's something that – the thing that I've been telling you all along is true. And then we had to deal with, oh, I hate what's true.
2: Right. So let's talk about that then. Once you knew it was something bad – did you stay in Iowa, or did you go home? where, where what were the decisions that uh, were happening then?
3: I was very strange in that um, I kept it a secret. My parents, my mother was there. Uh, my I had friends that were there, and for some reason, my brain put it in a category of this is not something I'm going to tell anybody else other than my doctors. I you know I, it's part of me, I still can't explain. It. it took me a very long time to communicate it to other people. But what became very clear was that doing cir- chondrosarcoma doesn't typically respond to chemotherapy and radiation historically, or it didn't at that time. Uh, surgery seemed incredibly risky because of the position that it was in my spine, at risk paralysis or death. You know, two really great things. Uh, so, and there were a couple people that were starting up clinical. I went shopping all around the U.S. to talk to different doctors and different. Um, cancer centers all around the world and there were several clinical trials that were just cropping up just as I was there uh, just as I was diagnosed uh, to be treated chemotherapy and try it and see if it would work and it was an eight week intensive cross your fingers and hope this shows any kind of response Um, and I was one of the very lucky ones where I did show some shrinkage of the tumor and then I continued beyond what the clinical trial was prescribed but at least showed, okay, there's some shrinkage of tumor and we can keep going on this and see what's happening. Uh, And it's been a very long series of staying on the, like on those different drug medications staying off of chemo and radiation and uh, off and on for about three years um, to the point where now I'm very fortunate that there's a tiny, everything else has gone away. There's a tiny cluster of cells still hanging out in my spine as I like to think about it right. um, that is managed pretty if I do pretty regularly intense medication, but it seems to not be moving, No, No,
1: So
2: we can't
3: get rid of it, but we can keep it small and contained, and, you know, that's what we hope for, I guess.
2: <laughs> I, I, what, what struck me most about what you just articulated was that you were actually on a clinical trial, and that is so yeah. rare for people that aren't 80 or, or 8. How, yeah. how, how is that made aware in your world, like usually the doctors either don't think you need one. They're not aware that there is one. They don't think to tell you because there's bad stuff happening or you, you may not be a human being that would even think to know that's something you look for.
3: I was pretty I was pretty aggressive in my research as soon as I, you know, I was in my own bubble alone because by my own choosing, I should point out, I have a lot of wonderful people in my life. For some reason, I chose not to use any of them. And I just went into a crazy workaholic research mode and went to every single cancer center, I could find and ask them questions and ask them who is available for clinical trials and what would they do. And every doctor was saying, oh, well, chondrocylchroma, you never use that for clinical, you you never use chemo for that. You never use chemo for that. And I would keep asking them, is that still true? Is that uh, this is the last statistic I saw? Is that still true? And I started to hear rumblings about something they were just trying in several different hospitals. So I would go, I just showed up on their doorsteps and went to their rooms and asked if they were the ones doing the clinical trial, I was a kind of a crazy person, but I was a crazy person in the name of finding out from as many different current databases as I could get my hands on. And my doctors in Los Angeles were pretty amazing about getting me at least like access to talking to the right people at the right time.
2: I love that, you and it cha- was just
3: a matter of luck.
2: No, you're right. You, you you very cleverly channeled your inner Woodward and Bernstein to do all the reconnaissance <laughs> necessary. I mean, yeah. I, I, you, you're a writer, producer, essayist, but do you have like that? Sounds like you have a journalist bone, you know, at the core of your curiosity.
3: Um, I have an absolute curiosity just about human nature and human behavior, and I really am stubborn in terms of I don't like being told no. And if somebody says there's one thing I can't have, that's the one thing I want to insist on having. And it's in some cases it's not an honorable quality, but in this case it paid off because I just wouldn't stop because it didn't seem like there should only be one answer. Um, And, uh, you know, I just I genuinely lucked out in that there was something cropping up just as I was experiencing this. Otherwise, I think I would have immediately done the surgery. And this cancer was not far gone enough where some where we were able to say, let's risk it these six to eight weeks. Let's see if we get any kind of results.
2: So one of the elephants in the room for young adults, I always, I always have to explain when people say, well, why just young adults? Don't we matter too, granny? And I was like, yes, everyone matters, but we're just different. And the defining factor as to what what's gets, what gets people to say, oh, of course, is fertility, that yes. chemotherapy and, and, and clinical trial, like they can jeopardize your reproductive health. Was that something you discovered on your own or was it not even in the rhetoric of anything?
3: Um, my, when I signed on to do the clinical trial, it was one of the first things that they pointed out to me, um, which I know isn't the case for other people. And that's unfortunate, uh, for myself, it was pointed out and it was very, I was always somebody who I thought in the back of my head, I never really wanted to birth children that I would want to adopt sometime at some point in my life. And I was fairly certain that was the path I was going to choose, but it wasn't until there was a doctor in front of my face saying Do you want to take some time to preserve your fertility or do you want to chase after this thing that you can have right now that it became very clear of, yeah, I want to chase after the thing that's going to stop the cancer growing in me. And I know other patients who have had a very different experience that that choice has made it very clear of what they want and what they're willing to do to preserve that opportunity. For me, it just became crystal clear that that wasn't something I was interested in preserving or needed to preserve.
2: Right, and, so, and I, I, I first of all, it's a very admirable choice when you're staring down the barrel of your mortality, and you're right, there are many women who forego treatment starting immediately to go through the 12-week or the 3-month or the 10-day process, but their cancer will have accelerated in many cases, and they wind up getting a more aggressive stage, all to yeah. guarantee their own right to be a mom, and this is one of the major legislative issues that we're we're following on the back end from a uh, a payer perspective. A it's not covered. Right. Even, even if you're made aware of it, you can't afford it. So <clears throat> what good is it at the end of the day? But I, I, I think it's a very noble and brave decision you made. But there are certain instances where women aren't even given the choice. The choice is made no, absolutely by the doctor. Not. No. No, which
3: is infuriating because they don't, you know, there's a long, obviously there's a long list of side effects of any kind of medication that you're going to take. You know, they don't go over every single headache that I might incur, but the reality, but that's not a headache. That's your future and that is your whole body. And it just goes to an overall perspective that I think in in addition to doctors and all people in the medical field and outside the medical field who aren't as well versed in what is different for a young adult cancer. There's also people who are less inclined to spend more time with what are specifically a woman's experience. And it goes from everything for how we treat pain and how women and men respond to pain differently, how they articulate it differently to what goes on in their bodies and what we feel is necessary to preserve them.
2: Very well said. So somewhere between you choosing to keep your diagnosis in secret and when you wrote the L article, People must have eventually found out what was going on.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, I you know I, I kept it until there's a difference between being secretive to me or being quiet about it and private about it to being a liar. And I, I pride myself in not being the liar. Um, you know, I kept some things quiet and in typical Hollywood fashion when it became clear that I was going to have to amend <clears throat> my work schedule and do things, I called my agents first. I believe my agents were the first people to know I had cancer, okay. which was terribly bizarre and messed up, but they knew. And then my boss knew at the time. And then eventually I knew that the side effects were going to render me bald and uh, sick looking. And that was a point where I was, you know, I was really committed to the specific treatment I was on and was ready to let people in as I saw fit. Um, but it was a, for me, it was very much a process and for me and accepting the reality that was happening for me. And I've gotten a lot of, Caught a lot of flack
2: in retro, retroactively, but I understand that too. No, so uh, we have five minutes left. I, I could talk to you for two, sure. hour- two hours. I could talk to you for two hours because this is so compelling. <laughs> no, I'm serious, um, and I'd love to I meet am you. Too. I, I come to LA a lot too, so I'd love to meet you in person. But so fantastic. So you, you write this article, which is clearly hitting a nerve for so many people. I was misdiagnosed for six months personally twenty years ago, so I hit, hit a nerve Unreal. with me. So. In terms of response to the article and then how being affected personally changed the way you might have uh, contributed to a narrative as a Hollywood uh, producer and uh, writer for TV shows that deal with cancer. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Um, to remind me of your first question. <laughs> no, the first so question was like...
2: No, we like, it was the the ultimate mic drop. I confronted the doctor who missed my cancer in Elle magazine. Yeah. That, that's a big deal. Uh,
3: I, You know, I I wanted to... I felt like obviously the cancer story there's overall is so big and sprawling and I wanted to do something specific because I was finding something that really made me angry and when I'm angry about something I know it's something worth chasing and I knew that it would apply to people who would experience cancer. Um, I've also had some pretty tremendous responses from people who are dealing with autoimmune disease and women who are dealing with postpartum. I had a friend who fellow writer friend who just got out of the ER because of two misdiagnoses and a botched surgery and just called me and said, okay, now I get it. Um, So it's having this kind of ripple effect that I'm both horrified by and uh, encouraged by because I realized this is a story and an angle to a story that I need to keep pursuing and I keep needing to keep beating my loud obnoxious drum as much as possible about it.
2: And you're clearly Um, doing that. I'm sorry? You're clearly doing that.
3: I, I'm trying, you know, and, and as far as Grace, I, you know, I work on a tremendous, a trem- like a group of tremendous people and so smart, and we have so many amazing medical resources available to us. We have doctors who are on staff who are so fantastic and excellent leaders, and what's lovely about it is everyone on staff has has a different human experience. There's someone on staff who went, who was uh, is a childhood cancer survivor, so she has a point of view. There are people who don't have specific illnesses, but have family members who've gone something. Or some are parents, some are not. Some are single, some are married, newly married, some have been married forever. And it's all those types of stories that we're passionate about, that we experience in our lives, that we get to bring to the table. And this is my experience. And I had the lovely pleasure of writing an episode uh, that aired a few weeks ago that was featuring a young girl who was a second-time cancer survivor and was very focused on advocating for herself and her own rights and her own treatment. It was a different story than mine cancer-wise, uh, but it was something that I was really proud of getting to pitch and talk through and have the writers all come together and, as we do and help each other tell the stories in a way we really feel passionate about telling, and I'm so glad that I got to do that.
2: And that goes back to where I started our our first talk is authenticity and storytelling, specifically around young adults. And that, you know, we're so used to, we're bombarded by bald kids and old people getting cancer, and that's the way it is, and that's fine. But when you have the chance to tell the story about someone that isn't in that age group and how it's different, that's a game changer. Absolutely. We had the pleasure of working with um, Sean Patrick Smith at ABC family recently on the Chasing Life series for two and yeah. a half years and uh, we got I, I got to you know basically coach uh, Joni and I forget the other writer's name on on what it really would be like for Italia's character April to go through this this and this to the point and we didn't we couldn't possibly have planned for this but they put stupid cancer products on set amazing. Uh, I love that. So that was like, that blew the doors out of the water for where the young adult narrative or voice is with of respect course. to authenticity in Hollywood and pop culture. So that was like a seminal moment for everyone here in our universe. Amazing. So and yeah. you're, you're part of that. And that's a, that's a really something we need to step back and say, wow, it's actually a thing now.
3: Well, I, I, you know, I feel absolutely out of my mind lucky for many, many reasons. But how many people get to experience something as awful as I did, but then find ways to be productive and channel into something that will hopefully, hopefully, be helpful to everyone. And there isn't, you know, there isn't one cancer story. So I'm so glad that the more people that are speaking up in this young adult cancer group and the people and ever will be able to share their viewpoints that there isn't one look, there isn't one sound, there isn't one experience, there isn't one trajectory. And the more people that are out there telling their stories, I feel like the more people they're going to help and more people are going to be at home, sick in in a bed or not sick in a bed saying, Hey, that's me. I see me up there. Um, And what better way to encourage somebody who's going through cancer than to be able to see that.
2: We are all snowflakes.
3: (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Let everyone know where they can find you online.
3: Uh, I am at ER Finchie E R F I N C H I E on Twitter um and on Instagram.
2: Fantastic. Elizabeth Finch, young adult survivor. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, yeah, stage 3 chondro there's lots of you like syllables. Chondrosarcoma, which is cool. Yeah. and terrible. But yeah, like <laughs> Google I confronted my doctor who missed my cancer. The article L magazine changed the rules for what's possible thank you for joining us i look forward to meeting thanks for person. having me all right take care elizabeth Absolute. finch everyone all right
1: and now the news
2: hello i'm kent brockman and this is i on cancer just the facts ma'am
1: head on over to events.stupidcancer.org that is events.stupidcancer.org. sign up for meetup alerts and never miss an event again if you'd like to learn more about hosting your own Stupid Cancer Meetup, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. All right, Matt, we've got some events happening. Just want to be exact in Anchorage, Alaska. Well, that's good news. Yes. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download
2: Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes Join our community of thousands of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers right now
1: on your mobile device, Instapier. We launch a news feed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe over at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. For young adults, clinical trials are a red hot mess.
2: So we are throwing our hat in the ring to make some sense of this madness. Introducing I Am Not a Trial, real young adults, real faces, and real stories plucked straight out of our own community. Watch the entire video series at
1: IAmNotATrial.com. Support our programs and services by heading over to StupidCancerStore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new Stupid Cancer gear. That's StupidCancerStore.org. Be proud, wear Stupid Cancer, and And that is your Stupid Cancer cancer news.
2: News. Alright, in our main segment, Agnela McGuinness is an actress, recent breast cancer graduate, and created a viral photo series that used humor to show the different so- stages of her mastectomy. Really excited to have her on the show to talk all about what she's up to. Uh the campaign is uh is called My Breast Choice. Please welcome Agnela McGuinness. Hello! Hello,
1: hello, thank
2: you so much for having me. We were we were debating the uh the origins of your name.
0: Mmm yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there's a there's a pool happening right now as to what your answer is going to be.
0: Okay. Um, I guess I, I drum roll. Um, <laughs> my my first name is actually my great grandmother's name, and it's from Poland. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so it's my mother's my mother's grandmother's name.
2: So there's no tilde. It's Anjela.
0: Anjela. Yes. An- well, Anjela. Anjela. Mm-hmm. Got
2: it. Well, yeah, the tilde was a, a a bit of a conversation. <laughs>
0: And I'm used to people never pronouncing it correctly, so I just kind of answered anything.
2: I'll just call you. How about I call you McGinnis?
0: I'm used to that, too. Was that, yes, was that you your, your, like your, your
2: college nickname. <laughs> <laughs> hey, McGinnis, get over here.
0: And we're getting close to St. Patrick's Day. So <clears throat> that is I true. feel like that's appropriate.
2: We can channel some green beer during our interview.
0: Oh, nice. Yes.
2: <laughs> so thank you for coming on the show. I'm really excited to, to talk to you about this. I was really um, taken by... Uh, everything that you're doing, you know, we, I, I, it, we we, don't really look at breast cancer as like pink in October. It is, we're equal, you know, the, the democratization of the lack of ribbons and colors that are way too prevalent in everything we think about. So, it's good to have a breast cancer story, you know, in as the spring is starting to happen in the end of February when nothing is pink, which is great. Yes. So, um, and we typically see lots of people agreeing that you know, the pink nausea and all this nonsense. But I, I get the gist from everything you're doing, as disruptive as it is, you're on that page too.
0: Yes, completely. Yeah. Completely.
2: So let's start with your story. Uh, you know, uh, you have, uh, regrettably, the you know, or, or for what it's worth, you've been on both sides of the coin. You've been a mm-hmm. caregiver to your mom who uh, was diagnosed with ovarian, and then you yourself, after your mom passed away, got breast cancer.
0: Yeah, a year later.
2: That's, I mean... There's no contest in this world, but that's pretty tough.
0: That's, yeah. No, exactly. and I don't want to be the winner of that contest. <clears throat> right. <laughs> that is, they have a really bad life. Um, yes, it's... But the funny thing is, not funny ha-ha, but funny, oh. Uh, um, <laughs> I've talked to other women who have had this exact same story where their mothers died of cancer and then they got cancer the year later.
2: It's amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm not alone in this. This is... There's many of us out there who have crazy stories and they're exactly the same
2: one of the most uh, poignant things i can mention right now is that my co-founder kenny who's here on the air was 17 when his father was diagnosed with testicular cancer so mm-hmm. at the dna of stupid cancer is the young adult caregiver to their parent
0: yeah and- which sucks <clears throat> so bad <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: i know it, it it's it's the the invisible children cancer story of america is when you're 17 18 i mean you know you're just so young, and you have to be there for your mom and your dad when maybe you should be there for your mom when they're eighty, and yeah. not, not forty. So and your
0: friends don't get it. No, you like how I. You become your parent's parent yes. when you're caregiving, mm-hmm. and I found a lot of anger with that. I don't know if you you guys found it as well, but I know I was angry to have to be the caregiver, but I couldn't say it because my mother had cancer, so how can you say that you're angry because you know you don't have cancer?
2: Right, and then you get the guilt for thinking that mm-hmm. way in the first place. Yeah, it, it's you belong in the club. You're here with us. Yeah,
0: so. <laughs> and I got it on both sides. Yes. Yes. I'm fully in this club now. Can't get rid of me.
2: I'm like, I'm gonna get some tattoos uh, on your arms or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: so then, at 32, how were you diagnosed with breast cancer? Was it a, a fluke? A self-exam? Was it wh- what happened? Because you're not getting mammograms that young.
0: Well, I was. Oh, you... um, I I found out that I had the BRCA1 mutation when I was 26. Oh, was that... but my mother was still going through ovarian cancer. We okay. decided, you know what? Let's get tested. And so I started getting mammograms and MRIs done every six months. Um, so, yeah, so I started early, but I never thought I'd actually get cancer. Like, I just did this because I was supposed to. Right. Because that's what I, like, I'm a rule follower. So I'm like, all right, I'm supposed to do this. But I never thought I was going to get cancer, ever. I thought it was my mother's disease. And after she passed away, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a preventative mastectomy. I was still a little younger than they recommended. They were saying 35, but I was like, you know what? Let's just do this. I want to start my life. I feel like I'm on hold. Let's just get this done. And it was, I decided, I'm like, let me get my last MRI for old time's sake because I'm not going to need these anymore. Famous last words. And they found it on that one. Yeah. So I got diagnosed with cancer three days prior to my scheduled appointment with the uh, breast surgeon.
2: Did that come in handy or was that weird?
0: It came in handy. Uh, Other people, their reaction is like how horrifying, like, oh my gosh, what bad luck. And in all honesty, it just confirmed my choice where I was maybe 80% sure I wanted to do it. And after being diagnosed, I was 100% sure. Right. And so that for Mm -hmm. me, was a huge benefit and I was diagnosed and didn't have to make any phone calls for doctors. I already had everyone in place. I already had spent the time finding what breast surgeon I wanted, what risk reconstructive surgeon I wanted without the pressure of that ticking time bomb of like, oh, I have cancer. So I got to do it at a very leisurely pace and kind of you know shop around, like really figure out who I wanted. So when I got diagnosed, I just sat there and waited for the next three days until I showed up to my appointment.
2: I think what's most intriguing to me in this story is that you were made aware of hereditary risk, and Mm -hmm. that is not very often discussed. Yes. So kudos on having a great doctor. I mean, was that or was that something that you and your mother discovered on your own or was it brought to your attention?
0: Ah. It's hard to remember back at this point because it's been about eight, nine years, but I remember us hearing about the mutation. My mother just figured she had it. My mother had had breast cancer. She had had skin cancer, and then she got ovarian cancer, and so she just assumed she had a genetic risk for cancer, Um, and she was with UM UM-Sylvester, which is a research hospital, and so she figured that if she got tested- she already assumed she was positive, but she, if she got tested for the mutation, they would then insurance would pay to have me get tested. Ah. Where otherwise, it's a really expensive test. Got it. So she got tested, came back positive, and then I got tested at her same the same hospital and came back positive. So it was um, thankfully to my mom. My mom going, you know what? I want you to be able to find this information out.
2: So this was many many years ago and yet you took advantage of the early internet to start documenting things. Yes. <laughs> you took the risk that YouTube might become something one day. Yeah. And and so what, what I mean I think that's <clears throat> such a sign of the times because you know, we talk about my diagnosis in the 90s, we didn't take pictures back then. Like, cameras were like this foreign object that you took to Disney World or something like that. So, but even, like, 10 years ago or 9 years ago, no one would have necessarily thought, oh, selfies, because it didn't really exist back then, but you decided to have the chutzpah to start documenting all of this. Can you tell us about that decision and how it went?
0: Yes. Um Well, it's Funny the original that first moment when I actually because I've videotaped myself two hours after my mom died from cancer, um, talking about it, you know, saying you know, okay, my mom's dead, this is how this feels, and um, I was only doing that because I decided I I keep having these random attempts of like oh, I'll do a video blog, <laughs> and then right. I realized it's a lot of work.
2: Yes, it is. <laughs> Post production is a bitch.
0: Yeah, I'm like, oh, man. But I had just, for my 30th birthday, I went and did a silent meditation retreat for 10 days. And I was like, I'm going to document this. And in the midst of that, when I came back out, the day I came out from that meditation retreat, I found out that my mom had chosen to go into hospice. And she uh, qu- quit doing all of her treatment. <clears throat> and I was like, Oh okay, because I uh, let me actually document how meditation interacts with grief and the process of somebody dying. So it was this very – like things morph. So that's why I started was I'm like, let me just document the process of grief and somebody dying. But I never videotaped my mother because I just felt that was an invasion of her privacy. Sure. I instead just videotaped my emotional process of dealing with it. And I found it to be actually very therapeutic. Um
2: Well, it's a very, like, 21st century way to pioneer what it really means to be young facing this disease and making difficult choices.
0: Yes, yes. And it's nice to look back and go, oh, naive little you. You thought that was the worst of it.
2: Right, exactly.
0: (laughs) But it gives perspective. So um, after she passed and I had some, you know, that grieving time, And I finally decided I'm going to get a mastectomy done. I'm I'm also an actress by trade, and I'm like, okay, well, if I get a mastectomy done, I'm out of commission for six weeks to two months. And uh, being a, you know, coming from that narcissistic actor point of view, I'm like, well, I should probably like I'm gonna not have a career during that time. Let me make something during this. And I was like, I'm gonna make a documentary following a preventative mastectomy. So I started videotaping, just dealing with the idea of getting a preventive mastectomy. And I just kept recording stuff, uh, not knowing oh, you know, if I would no. use it or not. And then I got diagnosed with cancer. So that's kind of how it happened wow. was I was in the process of thinking, oh, I'm going to document this for this random documentary I'm going to make maybe one day. Um, and it turned into something completely different.
2: But you kept going.
0: I kept going. I just kept going. Because I figure, you know, what's what's the harm of recording this, even if I never use it? Right. What's the harm of it?
2: But I mean, it's just so generational to me how we and I, I assume you're. I'm I'm forty. I'll be forty two soon. But I, what I'm finding in the Gen X millennial space is that there is so much more openness to humor, mm-hmm. and that makes a lot of people uncomfortable in some <laughs> places, like your mom or your dad or whatever. But at the end of the day. You know, this is how we're choosing to deal with it. And we now have the tools to let that exist in the public space. And, you know, a lot of what you write about, like one of your blogs is called The Five Weird Reasons I Love My Mastectomy." It harkens me back to a woman named Geraldine Lucas who wrote for a lifetime about breast cancer, but she wrote a book called Why I Wear Lipstick Mm -hmm. to My Mastectomy." and it just like why are you even telling me these things i don't want to know these things but the whole book is laughing through you know tragedy and how she was taking ownership over things she didn't have control over and i see that in everything that you're doing right now as well and it, i you're clearly an actress you clearly you know the, the the public spotlight is your place to be and it resonates really really well
0: yeah, I feel comfortable there. And I, I found, though, for me, a big part of it when I finally really got into it and got through the idea of, oh, I'm going to do this because I'm an actress, but I realized I'm going to do this because there's nothing else out there that resonated with me. And I'm like, I'm going to make something that I would have wanted to see, which is why I came up with the photo series. Because I, when I was looking for mastectomy photos, they were all – either the medical photos of, you know, headless women, just their breast under fluorescent lighting. And it was really, it was a hard pill to swallow that this is what I was getting into. Or they were the black and white, very somber photos with a woman with a, a rose up against her scar. And I appreciate those photos. I appreciate women doing that. But for me, it just, it didn't speak to me. Right. And it, I found that it, I was more scared after seeing those photos and I wanted to turn away more than I actually learned or felt better from them. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to show that there is humor and there is joy and there is like in – while there's tragedy, there always lives joy at the same time. We just have to look for it.
2: So let's let's then talk about that. So t- tell us uh, more about some of the specific projects that you've been working on ever since. So you, you, you were – an and internet success in the sense that you accomplished what you wanted to use the new medium to get it done, mm-hmm. and you now have been channeling that to your benefit. To I mean, you're you're owning what you went through clearly, but what what's been the takeaway to all the people who have become your fans? Um. The, oh, the
0: takeaway. Well, in all honesty, my. After like so, this photo series that I made it did it went internationally viral, and I found it very interesting because nothing changed within my own life, and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Um, So why why make something? And I realized it's because I enjoy talking to people, and that's the greatest thing that came out of this photo series is I talked to women and men all over the world who are going through this or about to go through this. And I'll give him my phone number. I'm like, here you go. Let's let's talk or we'll Skype. I just talked to a young girl who's 16 and in, um, in Ireland who has a very rare form of cancer. And we just – we could talk about how much this sucks and the fun in it and the jokes and the laughter and realizing being bald. And so that I've been enjoying. I've been enjoying making these – friendships with women who are going through one of the most extreme moments of their lives and being able to show them where to find joy. Like, you know, it's okay. I can't tell you if you're going to be okay, but I can tell you that the experience of it is okay. There's there's nothing to be ashamed of. Feel what you're feeling, feel sad, feel angry, and then also feel joy and laugh and look in the mirror and realize how ridiculous it is that we look like a thumb
2: and (laughs) yeah
0: you know there's I just I found that there was so much joy in this experience of cancer I really did it was it was I relate it to um because I personally really didn't care for the term cancer survivor when I got diagnosed Mm -hmm. and I remember the first time somebody called it me a cancer survivor I almost was like screw you how dare you call me that because um, for me it felt like there were only two options with it it was either you're going to survive or you're going to die right and is that when why you use the word graduate breast
2: cancer graduate yeah.
0: so instead my <clears throat> friend and I who I met because she was referred to me because she got cancer and we were talking about it, like what else could we call ourselves and it came up with the term graduate um breast cancer graduate and in it's it's very much like college. You meet other breast cancer um, graduates or students, and it's like going to the same college. You're like, oh my god, you went there too. Oh, what major did you have? Right. Oh, I majored in breast. You majored in prostate. <laughs> cool. Um, and instead, it changes into this idea of what can you learn from it? You know, these courses that we're taking of cancer and. How am I gonna use this knowledge to better others and better the world when I graduate from this? And if I have to go back and get a second major or get a, bachelor or, um, a master's degree or a PhD, there's nothing to be ashamed of in that. It just, I'm learning something new. I'm furthering my education. And if heaven forbid, you know, I, don't, I don't complete the major, it's not taken away from me. That title doesn't get revoked.
2: Well, it goes back to um, the Stuart Scott quote and, and many others like him where you know, the, the gist of it was not about how long you live, it's how you live and what mm-hmm. you choose to do while you're living. And, uh, you know, um, we all have an expiration date, and that's kind of cliche to say here on the on a cancer show, but it's true. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're always going to wait for the other shoe to drop and anxiety and, and follow-ups and things like that. But, you know, you're, you're really owning your, your story. I, I was hoping you could talk more about What you're currently working on? You said you're editing a documentary film. Yes. Is is that new? A new project?
0: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, While I was going through cancer uh, and chemo and my mastectomy, a friend and I co-wrote a one-woman show, which I performed while I was on chemo, that used the footage from that I had captured. Like I recorded myself finding out the news that I got cancer. Like I hit record and had that footage coming out of surgery and so we put all of this footage together of my doctor's office dance parties at every chemo and we interspersed it between sketch comedy because I come from improv background so we used sketch we used stand up and we used these videos and made this one woman show that isn't a normal narrative and now we end up filming it and we're making that into the best term for it is documentary because it has that footage of that from being diagnosed and the process but it also contains these sketches (laughs) that I that I perform by myself like where I am playing cancer and cancer and I are bargaining for what what body parts I get to keep
2: that's and- that's actually very funny. We we joke here. I mean, uh, you can only like Jews can say Jew jokes. Like we cancer jokes here <laughs> is you know how many body parts can you live without to function? <laughs> and like, well, we don't really need the spleen and you know the breasts and testicles and you know you don't really limbs are overrated. <laughs> I, you know, so what what's the minimum you can get by without being like a football just getting kicked around as a person? Exactly. And, and, and well, not like get cancer. I
0: don't have ovaries anymore. <sighs> Or fallopian tubes, or a cervix, or any of that stuff. So, right. I was like, "Man, I'm I'm technically a post-op transsexual." Yeah, um, which I'm cool with. I'm like, "All right, um right, I'll take that title." So there's so many like it. Yeah, you. I don't, and I don't need it. I get hot flash and I'm in menopause, but it's cool.
2: But that that's the young adult story that doesn't really get out there. Like you shouldn't be barren because you had cancer (laughs) (laughs) something is benign or devastating or sensationalized as that may sound to different people cancer shouldn't whether you want to be a mom or not is irrelevant cancer shouldn't take that liberty away to be a mom or dad And, and i mean did you have that hysterectomy knowing or was that even a discussion when when you made that choice
0: Well, I knew that I was – I I planned on getting this done. I just – the date got moved up once I got diagnosed with cancer. So I didn't technically have to do it right now, um, but it was such a high risk for me to get ovarian cancer that it it wasn't worth it for me.
2: No, of course. And the BRCA gene can be Mm -hmm. the devil that you don't want to know, and it it can come back and kill you or bite you in the ass anytime.
0: Yeah, anytime. So it was worth – and in all honesty – I don't have a period anymore, so I kind of feel like I got a pretty good end of that. Oh, boy. Like,
2: <laughs> There's your cancer humor right there, folks.
0: But it's awesome. It, it, like, I ended up <clears throat> donating all of my tampons and maxi pads to the homeless shelter. Wow. Like, when I, I was like, oh, I don't need these anymore. <laughs> like, I was thrilled to give them all away.
2: You know, where I don't know if you know this organization. They're called the Young Survival Coalition <laughs> Uh, they're having their annual conference in Atlanta uh, this Friday Saturday and Sunday I'll be there but it's an aggregation of 6 to 800 women between I think it's been like 30 and 50 who all have faced various different versions of breast cancer and you know deal with uh, genetic issues or mastectomy or post all these things and you'd be surprised that it's not too dissimilar your attitude everyone is very you know, like like if you talk to a citizen, a normal person, they think you're crazy. They don't want to talk to you because how could you make a joke about, you know, enjoying not having a period, at, at you know, at 35, 40, 40, you know. But that's our culture. That's who we are. That's who you're part of. And you embody it so well. Um, I guess what am I, we have about two or three minutes left. Um, what do you want other women to know? or What would you say? I ain't got another cliche statement, but yeah. what, what is your, what would be your, like, your, like, marquee byline for women to know what you've chosen to do and, and what their options are?
0: Oh, goodness. Um, well, I, there's a catchphrase that I I put into my videos, which is you can't, you can't choose what happens to you in life, but you can choose how you look at it, which is why it's my best choice. But It's true. You can't choose what happens to you at all, but we do get to choose how we look at it, and that makes all of the difference, and we are allowed to laugh. like We are allowed to make fun of this. It's your cancer. You can do whatever you want. Social norms and social rules go out the window the moment you got diagnosed.
2: Right. Well said. I think that, again, it totally embodies the spirit and the culture of what it means to be young and get sick and have this life altering experience and again like sincere condolences on the loss of your mom but in hindsight you got tested Mm -hmm. and you know you were vigilant to the extent of almost like happy ignorance or happy (laughs) denial which is amazing and then boom you know but it all wound up serving you because it was detected
0: Mm-hmm, completely. And I'm glad my mother didn't get to see this, to be honest. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's a difficult discussion to have to begin with, but yes. Well, I, I, again, I'm really inspired. I hope to meet you one day. Um, yes. Um, I know we
0: will. The cancer circle small.
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what you're. You should come to CancerCon, come to Denver and, and, and hang out with us for like three and a half days in Denver at the I end know. of April. No, I was yeah. born
0: in Denver too, so uh, I, I haven't been back since I was like three. Oh,
2: we're in love with the city. We're in love with the city. <laughs>
0: I Need to get out there with yeah. you, and you guys are in New York.
2: Correct? Yeah, we're in New York, so anytime you're in town, just uh, I'll be there let next week. Oh, well, look at that. <laughs> well, maybe maybe we'll see you next week. All right. Uh, All right.
0: Well, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Great.
2: So, Ann Yella McGinnis, actress, recent breast cancer graduate, creator of our video series. She is the lead on My Breast Choice. Uh, give us a URL or a website. It
0: is My Breast Choice Show. Dot com, And as well, you can go to facebook.com backslash mybreastchoice. And YouTube is youtube.com backslash mybreastchoice. And, and then I do Instagram, which is Aniela McG. Um, so, yeah, that's everything. The whole circle. Thank you the so much circle. for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay,
2: take care. Thank
0: you.
2: And now it is time for our closing sequence.
1: Prepared to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever
2: seen a grown man naked? And so
1: to all of you, a fond
2: farewell. Hooray! I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've
0: done it again.
2: That was so terrible. I think you gave me
3: cancer.
1: <clears throat> okay, folks, that's our show. The 377th episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. Uh-huh. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud.
0: Uh I'd like to thank our
1: guests, Elizabeth Finch Uh
2: and Daniela McGuinness for joining us on uh, the show here. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid 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 Cancer cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, cancer. cancer the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer 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 online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you now from the chemo deck, and on behalf of my whole team here at The Stupid at Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did. Hope you to stick at Stupid cancer. cancer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here on the next exciting podcast of The Stupid Before Cancer Show.
1: Goodbye, folks.